Hey there, and welcome to the One Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at one of our services. If you'd like to know more about life at One Church, visit us online at weareone.church or check us out on social media. Um, I'm going to speak to you this morning sons, daughters, and hired hands. Sons, daughters, and hired hands. And I'm going to just bring to you the end of the story of the lost son. And uh, you may know this story, but I'll just bring you up to speed with it. Jesus was telling a story about a son who uh, had had kind of a, a, an ambitions to leave the the home and go and live it up. He he dreamed of getting out of the farm, out of the house, out of his father's shadow, and just go and live it up and do whatever he, what his heart led him to do. And so he approached his father one day, the story goes, and said to his father, I want my inheritance now, not when you die. I want it right now so I can go and live it up and spend it. The father was a little broken hearted at his son's kind of slightly rebellious decision, as many of us would be, probably. And, um, uh, and then he, he, he gave him the money. He said, okay, if that's your heart, if that's what you want to do, I release you. And he gave him the money and the inheritance, and off the son went, and he lived it up. He did whatever his heart desired. He went for it. He did what probably most teenagers would do if they got you know, their inheritance right now. He just went for it. The Bible says that after a while, he ran out of money. He'd used it up. He'd been to every party he could go to, been with every woman he could be with. He'd bought every item he could buy. But eventually, the money ran out, and he had no work, no employment, no income, and he found himself with nothing. And he felt like, I can't, I can't go home. I can't go back to my dad because, I've, because of the way I've treated them. So he, he managed to get a job. Well, he managed to get a job working in a, a farm in a pigsty. And he sat in the pigsty, in the muck, smelling, thinking, what on earth have I done with my life? And he decides, I, I'm going to go back home, but not as a son. I'm going to go back and just offer my life back to my dad and say, I'll just, I know I, I'm, I've given up my rights as a son. I'll just serve. I'll just... I'll just do whatever you want me to do. I'll be a slave in the house because that's better than being in this pigsty with nothing. So he goes back. And to his surprise, the father responds with incredible compassion and grace and joy. The Bible tells us in Jesus' story, says the father, when he saw him at a distance, he ran out to greet him. He gave him a massive hug. Uh, Must have been smelly, but he did it anyway. You know, he just wrapped his arms around him because he loved him. Even though he'd been a rebellious idiot, even though he'd been a fool, he wrapped his arm around him. He put a new robe on him. He put a ring on his finger. He treated him like the son that he was. And the son must have just been, his brain must have just been blown at the way he was being treated in this story. So then we pick up the story because at the point I'm about to read from, the older brother who's always been around the house, who's never rebelled, who's been a good boy, finds out. And he's not happy. Okay, here we go. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came to the house, he heard music and dancing. 
So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry. Say angry. angry. He's not sharing his father's joy. His father is over the moon. His father is happy. My son who was lost has been found. He's back. But the, the, the older brother, he's angry, not joyful. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I ask myself the question as I read this story, why so angry? Why so angry? Why refuse a party? Not, uh, you know, there's a party going on. There's food. It would take a lot for me to not want to engage in that. Like, why refuse a party? Why refuse to eat? Why so angry? And I think this is the answer. And, and there may be other people that give a, a different slant on this story. But I think the answer is, is that the older brother is looking at the younger brother and saying, what has he done to deserve any of this? He's looking at his behavior. He's looking at his actions. And he's saying, what has he done to deserve this And that, if I'm right, exposes a thought pattern in the older brother that goes along these lines. That you have to do or behave a certain way in order to be worthy. You have to prove your worth by what you do. And the younger son, well, look at what he's done. And look at what I've done. You see, there's this action, this behavior-based performance-based mentality that the older brother has. And he's like, look at what he's done. Look at what I've done. And that's what's causing this angry response. He believes that it's what we do that proves our worth to be a son. In this, uh, in this idea, it's, he's saying that his performance, it's his performance that establishes worth and identity. And this was really common in Jewish culture and Roman culture, actually. There was this culture that was called an honor-shame culture. Honor-shame culture. You were honored if you did well. You were honored if you had proved yourself. You were honored if you had made it through the ranks and you'd become some. You'd be seated in the most important seats. You would be seated in high places. You would be honored. And everybody would love to, to that prestige. They'd want to be honored. And so everybody would be working their socks off to try and get to the place of honor. And that was how the society and the culture of that time operated. And if you didn't make it, you weren't just not honored. You were actually shamed. And that was the flip side of this coin in their culture. You were shamed for not being that. And so you can see honor, shame working out in this older brother's mind. He's going, how can you honor that? That's sh that shame. 
shameful. I should be honored. I should be the one. Because I've been here all the time. I've been working. Can you see it? You see, in this kind of thinking, performance is what creates identity, which then leads to a relationship with other people. You hear that? You start with performance. If I perform well, if I'm a good boy, if I behave myself, if I prove myself, if my performance is acceptable and even beyond that, good, you know, that will give me an identity with other people. People will see that I'm somebody. People will see that I'm good. People will honor my goodness and that will give me relationship with the better people. Do you see that working out? I I just want to pause on that thought for a moment because that happens even today. This isn't something that's just been kind of relegated to an inferior culture 2,000 years ago. That's our culture too. That's our culture here. And Christians can fall into this trap. Because we can get to thinking if my performance as a Christian is okay, and if everybody else sees that my performance as a Christian is okay, then I'll have worth and identity. And people will go, yeah, solid person, good person. Identity. Then I'll be able to be confident about my relationships with others because I know I'm performing well. But just think for a moment what that creates if that's the culture we create in church. I tell you what, it creates a show. I've got to be seen to be performing. I've got to make sure everyone knows I'm doing well. Right? And what I'm going to do less of is let people know when I'm not doing well because I wouldn't want them to shame me. And I wouldn't want them to think that I wasn't doing well because not only will that affect my performance, that actually will, uh, it will actually damage my sense of identity. Do you see? This, this isn't just about kind of giving me a bad day at the office. This is actually if I fail, my identity is impacted. Who I am, my worth as a human being, my worth before God is impacted if I get it wrong. So I'm going to drive myself to perform as well as I can to ensure that my identity is as strong as it can be so that I keep my relationship with God and others happy. Let me tell you, that doesn't work. It leads to misery. It leads to misery. Because you're going to constantly be condemning yourself constantly down on yourself, constantly worrying if you're up to the grade, up to the scratch, constantly thinking, am I good enough? It will lead to comparison because you're going to start looking at the person next to you and going, how's my performance in comparison to their performance? How are my prayers in comparison to their prayers? How's my Bible reading this week in comparison to their Bible reading this week? How, how am I in worship in comparison to how they, do you see how that works? And suddenly you're looking around and you're going, oh, no, my identity is shaking because my performance doesn't appear to be as good as Kit. Who, by the way, is a legend. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. That's what happens. And so we get caught up in this sort of like vortex that only drives us down. It doesn't raise us up. It drives us down as we compare with one another. And we dr- our, our whole thing becomes performance, performance, performance. And you can't be you in that culture. You can't be real in that culture. And if you can't be you and you can't be real, well, then what difference is that to anywhere else in the world? The church shouldn't be like that.
This family isn't going to be like that. But that's what was happening in the family in this story. And the son was going, hang on a minute, I have performed. I have performed, and no one's given me a party. Hmm. What Jesus was saying was this. He was actually turning the whole thing upside down. So if performance creates identity which leads to relationship, Jesus was saying, no, no, no. Relationship creates identity which leads to service. It's turned it upside down. Jesus is saying this. It's your relationship with your father. That's the foundation of your life. You are accepted and loved by him before you do a single thing. Before you perform anything. Before you pray a prayer, read your Bible, do anything you think a Christian might need to do. Before any of that has been done, Jesus is saying, no, no, no. It's your relationship with your father that performs the foundation that creates your identity as his son and daughter. And it's, it's not, you're not performing to be a son and a daughter. You're, we perform because we're sons and daughters. Does that make sense? It, we're not trying to create an identity through our service. We're just, we already have an identity. We're already seated in the highest possible place. We're sons and daughters of God. We have a relationship with him that's secure, that is given, that is free. That is unconditional. That is given by God before we did a thing. In fact, it was given to us, Bible tells us, while we were still enemies of God. When we were at our worst, he saved us. He came to us and he said, you're forgiven. You're mine. You're mine. You're forgiven. You're mine. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you will do. You're mine. You're mine. You're my child. You're my child. You're a son. You're a daughter now. You're in my house. You're in my family. Great. You know, you don't have to work for that. You just get given it. Which is fantastic. And then when we know that, and when we know we're loved unconditionally, when we know that God has brought us into sonship and daughtership, when we're part of his family, then we get to serve really as the icing on the cake. It's the overflow. It's the, that's just what we do here. It's not to try and create some kind of status or honor or performance-based whim. Your identity is given through a restored relationship with your father. We don't serve to become acceptable. We serve because we're already accepted. And here's the thing. God wants to build the church, his house, his family, through his sons and daughters, not through hired hands. And I'm going to describe the difference in a moment. But here's John chapter 10, verse 11 to 15. Jesus is speaking again here, and he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I don't know how many times I just said sheep, but it was a lot of times <laughs> in that passage. I used to be a van driver a number of years ago and uh, I would arrive at work and I'd pick up the van and I'd go off and, and deliver what I had to deliver. 
And what I noticed was I drove the van very differently to how I drive my car. So when I get in my car, I, I was careful with my car. I bought this fantastic, back in, not now, but back in those days, <laughs> I, had, I, was, I had this car, this Astra, and I remember it really carefully because it was all kitted out. It was a brilliant car. I, um, it, it was really fancy. It looked sporty. I was really proud of it. Cleaned it, cleaned it every day for the first week, you know, the sort of thing. And um, I was really proud of this car. So I was careful with this car. And then I get out of that car and I get into the works van. And I hammered that thing. <laughs> like, why? It didn't matter if I put a dent in it. It didn't matter, really, if I, you know, held the clutch down too many times and burnt out the clutch or hit the brakes a bit too hard because I wasn't going to have to pay for the brake pads you needed to replace. Listen, I drove that thing like it wasn't mine because it wasn't mine. I didn't look after it in the same way like I looked after my own car. And Jesus is kind of giving that analogy here, but with sheep. have had cars, he would have used my illustration now. <laughs> He's saying this, look, you're not, if it's yours, you look after it, you love it, you lay your life down for it. If you're a hired hand, if it doesn't belong to you, you just treat it how, and he's saying, God wants to build his church through sons and daughters that own his house not through hired hands that think it's a route to something else. Does that make sense? There's a difference between a son and a daughter and the way that they treat the church and a hired hand and the way they treat the church. Here's some differences. Hired hands say, that's not my job. Sons and daughters say, someone needs to do it, why not me? Hired hands hanker after ministry. Sons and daughters wait to inherit the ministry from their father. Sons and daughters are family-oriented. Hired hands are issue or ministry-oriented. You see, hired hands will split with the family over a disagreement of issues, but sons and daughters are interested in their father's agenda rather than doing their own thing. Sons and daughters are privilege-oriented. Hired hands are rights-oriented. Sons and daughters say we, our, us. Hired hands say me, mine, my, or they. Sons and daughters build on the vision of the Father. Hired hands seek to build their own vision within the house. Sons and daughters can reflect the heart of the Father. Hired hands can only relay information. Sons and daughters bond new people to the family and to the Father. Hired hands bond new people to themselves. In a storm, sons and daughters bail out water. Hired hands bail out See the difference between a son and daughter and his hired hand. 
Sons and daughters are ready to receive from the Father. Hired hands cannot be taught much, but they feel they should be the ones doing the teaching. Sons and daughters serve in the house with joy. Hired hands serve with a sense of duty. And sons and daughters remain in the house forever. Hired hands are looking for the BBD. Bigger, better deal. There's a difference between serving as a son or a daughter in a house and serving as a hired hand. When you own it, when it's yours, you lay your life down for the sheep. When you're a hired hand, you drive that thing into a wall and you're not really that bothered. <laughs> and that's the truth. And you know what we're trying to do in one church, what we're trying to do here is build a culture, build a family, build a place where people feel that they can be sons and daughters of the house. They're not just hired hands using service, using their work to increase their honor and their performance so that they can feel worthy about themselves and have a sense of identity. I want to tell you from day one that you walk through those doors, that's not how we're going to treat you. And you can have a life that is falling apart around you. And you will receive love and grace and mercy and compassion, even if it's your own fault. Even if it's our own fault. And I hope you do the same for me. Because it's grace. That's what Jesus taught us. Grace. Not performance. Not if you're good enough. Not if you meet a certain grade. Meet a certain... Listen, grace, you're part of the family, you're a son, even if you're a rebellious son sometimes, even if, even if you're a rebellious son sometimes, that door is open and you will always be welcome here and you will always be loved here and you will always be honored here and respected here for who you are as a person. And if you can get that, if you can figure us out that I am not worthy because of what I do, but because who I am, because of grace, because God has accepted me as a son and as a daughter, and I'm part of this family, not because I'm good enough to be, just because he wants me to be. It will change the way you serve. You'll serve with joy. You'll serve out of the overflow of that sense of security. And you won't be insecure thinking, am I good enough? I'm probably not good enough. I won't even put my hand up to serve because I'm probably not good enough and Kit will do it better. And listen, I want you to know this. Every one of us has a part to play. Every one of us has a part to play. And actually what happens is, is when you step out in faith and you enter and say, God, I'm, just, I'm, I'm a son and a daughter here to serve you. He will take you on a journey where he will grow your confidence and grow your sense of joy in serving him with whatever you have. That's cool, isn't it? So listen, servanthood, it's a big deal for us at One Church. It really is. Everybody's on board. Everybody has a place. Everybody's part of the family. We're sons and daughters. We love this thing. We love this church. I love you. I'm really proud of Liam. I'm going to pick on him a minute. 
Liam's possibly the longest standing member of this church, believe it or not. And uh, Liam's been here since he was a tiny baby. And I remember Liam as a five or six-year-old running his uh, little cars down the backs of the seats while I was trying to preach and all that sort of stuff. And, but he's a son in this house, not a hard hand. And he's proven that over years and years of faithful, just getting on with it, serving, whatever you give him to do, he is there. He takes ownership. He loves it. And, and I, I have a great deal of affection and respect for Liam. Because he does. And I know there's others among you I could say the same about. I could pick on many of you. I'm very proud of you as a church, I have to say. I've traveled to a number of churches, some across the world. And what I've found to be the case is in every single church I've seen that is prevailing, and by prevailing I mean making a difference, growing, seeing people get saved. In every single church that I've seen that's prevailing there's a strong sense of family and an enthusiasm a serious enthusiasm about God common denominator everywhere you go and guess what everywhere I've been it isn't growing it isn't prevailing people are just turning up because that's what you do duty and there's not a real serious enthusiasm about God and I want to say I'm proud of you because you sound much more like the first. There's a serious enthusiasm in this room about God. And I know that there is a commitment in you to be more than just part of a church service, but to be part of a family. And that bodes us very well for the future. For my son Jackson and for the kids that we've got coming along out there, it bodes well for their future as well. Because they're going to be sons and daughters growing up in the house. It's very exciting.